0: Hi, I'm Samantha. Hi, I'm Sarah. And And we we are the the Doom Crew. (laughs) Damn you! Hey nerds, welcome to the final week of Couples Who Kill, Volume 4. I'll be diving into the details of the notorious Bonnie and Clyde. And I
1: will be talking about a couple you probably have never heard of. Not going to give you their names. Oh, okay. All right. Do you want to go first? Sure. Okay. So, Mark Haas was born in Illinois on March 13, 1955. He spent his childhood in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and later moved to Dallas, Texas, where he graduated from Thomas Jefferson High School. He attended Texas A and M University and graduated with a BA in history in 1977. He graduated from SMU Law School in 1981 and worked in Dallas District Attorney's Office from 1982 to 1988 under District Attorney Henry Wade. He rose to the position of Felony Chief for Organized Crime. He entered his own private practice in Dallas in 1988, specializing in aviation law, family law, and criminal defense work. In 1992, Mark moved his home and practice to Rockwell, Texas. Oh,
0: hey, I know where that is. I know. Weird. In
1: 2010... Mark decided to return to criminal trial work, and he joined the district attorney's office in Kaufman, Texas. He was the assistant district attorney and was particularly concerned with protecting victims of crime. Mark loved to fly airplanes. He earned his commercial pilot's license in college and added multi-engine and instrument certifications in the 1980s. He had airframe and power plant mechanic certifications from the FAA.
0: Okay, this is... Like, this is a lot of certifications he is a that bad-ass. I didn't know existed.
1: Like, he's way more intelligent than us. Um, He was way more intelligent than us. He owned and operated uh, aircraft sales incorporated in Rockwall. He was passionate about animals and adopted unadoptable stray dogs throughout Aww. his life. He never married, but he was... An amazing man, he was a great storyteller, and he kept high spirits among his co-workers, friends, and family during good and bad times. On January 31st, 2013, Mark was walking from his car to the courthouse around 8 a.m. within the 100 block of East Grove Street in Kaufman, Texas, when a gunman dressed in all black, black mask, black clothes, shot him repeatedly and fled the area in a waiting vehicle.
0: Oh my God, Why?
1: What I'll the get, fuck? I'll get there.
0: Oh my god, I know, but like
1: I'll okay. get there. Okay. So, a former police officer, Linda Bush, was on her way to the courthouse and saw the shooting occur. She tried to chase the shooter but lost them. So, she turned around, went back to the scene, and where she gave Mark CPR until the paramedics arrived. Oh, wow. Unfortunately, Mark did not make it and he passed. Yikes. A huge, and I mean huge manhunt ensued with multiple law enforcement agencies including the Kaufman PD, kaufman county sheriff's department several kaufman county constable offices the texas department of public safety the fbi the dea the and the Bureau of alcohol tobacco and firearms and explosives whoa all were involved atf yeah so during the mass investigation there were a ton of leads that were followed but nothing came out of them Hmm. um they thought maybe because Mark had dealt with the cases involving methamphetamine in the county, as well as gangs, that it may have been a white supremacist group. Ooh. Maybe even the Aryan Brotherhood was involved in his murder. But after more investigations, they established that they didn't have anything to do with it. Yeah. Um, they had no reason to believe it was the cartel, as there was no current cases for them going on in the Kaufman County. Um, two months had gone by, and they had absolutely fucking nothing. That's so discouraging. I know. Those in the courthouse were getting extremely fucking nervous. Mark's boss, DA, Mike McClelland, always carried a gun, but he was concerned about his staff. So one day on March 30th, 2013, he went to a local gun store and looked at different weapons that he could provide to his staff to keep them safe. Just two hours after being in the gun store, Mike was at home with his wife, Cynthia, Enjoying their evening together when a police officer came to the door. They let him in and in doing so, unfortunately, sailed their fate. The couple was then shot multiple times over and over again. Oh my God! Sheriff Barnes stated, it was a bad, bad scene. Probably one of the worst two crime scenes I've ever been to because of the blood and the carnage. Oh, God. So I want to tell you a little bit about the couple. Okay. Yeah. Mike was born on August 23rd, 1949. Cynthia was born on October 18th, 1947. Mike grew up in Wortham, Texas. He obtained a BA in history from the University of Texas at Austin, a master's degree in psychology from Ball State University, and a Jurisprudence of Law from Texas Wesleyan School of Law. He served in the army for 23 years, retiring as a decorated major. Mike was a clinical psychologist for many years before pursuing a legal career. He had a private practice in Corpus Christi and Dallas, Texas. He worked as a public defender for Dallas County before being elected as the district attorney of Kaufman County in 2010. Cynthia grew up in Oakland and Highland Park, Texas. She obtained a BS in psychology from Austin, Texas, a master's degree in psychology from Texas Women's University, and an associate and RN in nursing from Del Mar College, Cynthia worked as a clinical psychologist for many years before becoming a nurse. She worked at the Terrell State Hospital. They were considered a mismatched pair that fit perfectly. They were a true love story.
0: That's cute.
1: Mike had three children, a daughter, Krista, a son, JR, and a son, Josh. Cynthia had two children, a daughter, Christina, and a son, Nathan. So... So a little bit about the couple, but after this, the county officials immediately got around the clock armed police officer protection. That's good. Just one day after the murder, an anonymous tip was left on the Crime Stoppers website that stated, Do we have your full attention now in the subject line? And then the email proceeded to state the specific ammunition used in Mark's murder. The amount of detail told the detectives that the writer knew more than anyone else and they wanted to get in contact with them these writers continued to taunt the police they were threatening to commit more murders this is always like so fucked up to me
0: when they're like writing in like trying to correspond and like what are you trying to create a relationship with them stop this they're fucking weird like this is all for attention yes hold your children
1: so all the suspects that they previously had for mark's murder were eliminated and now they had only one individual in mind and this person was brought to their forefront by Mike before he had been murdered. And his name, the person that Mike was interested in looking for at Mark's murder's name, was Eric Williams. Okay. So after Mark's death, Mike asked police to go see if they could get anything off Eric. They checked his hand for gun residue, and there wasn't anything. He had his hand in a sling and was claiming he had just had sh- shoulder surgery. Now, you may be curious as why they thought anything of this. Yeah. Well, I'll let you know. Eric Williams was a fucking genius. Like Mensa high quality, high IQ society genius. Okay. Um, he started working at the courthouse as a young court coordinator while he was attending law school. He seemed to be well liked and was able to get shit done for those who needed it. That is until May, 2011. Sixth, Short months after Eric had been elected a justice of the peace, he was caught repeatedly on surveillance videos, taking monitors and other equipment from a county building.
0: Oh, my God.
1: He said he needed them for his office, but within two weeks, he was arrested. Yeah. Others believed it was crazy to press charges. They believed Eric may not have gone through the right channels to get the equipment, but that he was probably going to still use them for business purposes. (laughs) okay I'm sorry like it's not like we're gonna go down to where we can collect equipment from our job and just start taking shit yeah like there'd be a a paper trail like any piece of equipment you take
0: is cataloged yeah it's itemized you don't know what you owe them
1: back when you're done you don't just take off with it no well either way um Mark and Mike were the ones who decided to prosecute Eric for computer theft a felony charge Now, some thought it was political prosecution and others thought that if the two had seen anyone taking multiple monitors without going through appropriate channels, they would have proceeded the same way. Didn't matter who the fuck it was. Yeah. So the prosecutors offered Eric a deal. He just had to accept a misdemeanor and it'd all be over. He refused. Of course. Yep. He believed it was all fabricated and he would win. It went on trial and he did not win. (laughs) oh my god he was convicted of a felony and put on probation he lost basically everything there was no jail time but he could no longer be an elected official so he lost his health and health insurance he lost his law license he lost his entire livelihood and he could no longer provide for his family oh no none of that would have happened had he accepted it as a misdemeanor yeah but wow whatever remember the crime stoppers tip that we talked about a little bit ago Uh uh-huh well there was a new one and this one stated that a Kaufman County judge needed to resign by next Friday or another individual was going to die. Oh. So the cops now felt like they were on a clock. They were able to find a vehicle, enter and leave the couple's neighborhood right around the time of the murder. Okay. It was a white Ford crown Victoria. They were working their fucking damnedest to find this vehicle. And at the same time, find out more information about Eric Williams. Well, Well, Eric had great lawyers that would not allow police to even talk to him. Yeah. One day, the police got a message on their phones from Eric's lawyer stating they were no longer representing him. Oh. So they, like, flew to his house.
0: (laughs) Right? They're like, uh, window.
1: Yeah. So they drove fast as fuck over to Eric's house. And they weren't expecting much because he was a lawyer, so he wasn't stupid. Right. But they were just hoping that maybe they would get something now that he didn't have other people telling him, don't fucking talk. Yeah. Well, Eric is a dumb fuck. So, um, he said, yeah, have a look around my house. Oh. I won't make you have a warrant. So they did. Oh, boy. They could, of course, only look in places that they were given permission. Um, but they found several pistols. A gun sight and a heat seeker thirty five hundred. Did you know that's a thing? Heat seeker thirty five hundred. What is that? So it's a device that uses infrared technology to find heat signatures up to nine hundred feet away. So you can see where people are up to nine hundred feet away.
0: Ye- yeah, I was. Yeah. So what I was thinking of was the guy who came and did the home inspection this weekend. Like he had that heat gun that he like pointed at the corners and stuff to see if there's like a draft and a leak. No, he wanted to see people. Yeah, no, yeah, got that.
1: Well, this was enough for a warrant. Uh, So the next day, the police came back with the FBI and a warrant. They found a title to a white Ford Crown Victoria. As well as, this is the one that gets me. You ready? Yes. Okay. They found a random piece of paper tucked up inside a computer bag. The piece of paper had some random... Like, random numbers scribbled all over it. Okay. The police are way smarter than me because they quickly figured out that those were numbers were the personal IDs provided when an individual calls an anonymous tip to the Crime Stoppers. This dumb fuck wrote down his tip numbers. Oh, my God. Because you're anonymous, you get a number assigned yeah. to you. He wrote them down and kept them, so then they took the anonymous tip numbers that they were given versus the tips that they received that provided... Specific information about the murders. Oh my god! And the threats. Oh my god! And um, that shit lined up. <laughs> so the dumbass, he so was a arra- stupid. He was arrested for making deadly threats. They still didn't have enough for murder. But yeah, this started shit. Um, and it was big fucking news. So there were brought everything was all broadcasted all over the news. Yeah. Um, the next morning they got a call. From someone claiming to be a friend of Eric's. Eric had asked his friend to get him a storage unit. So his friend did. He told his friend he didn't want to be associated with it. And because it was his friend he didn't think much of it. But now he thought the police should be involved. So the police got a warrant for the secret storage unit. That was a few towns over. Inside they found the white Crown Victoria. Oh my god. A boatload of weaponry. Including dozens of guns. Thousands of rounds of ammunition. Police badges. Bulletproof vests a crossbow, and weirdly enough, a fucking pickle jar. Actually, pickle I'm sorry, jar? a bunch of pickle jars. A bunch of pickle jars. With nothing in them yet. They were just jars for pickling.
0: Oh. Yep. Oh, okay. Um, that's weird for sure. I mean, it's all weird. Um. That one made me laugh. Like, why you got pickle jars in there, bro? I can't even, like, I'm so, I'm sorry. If someone comes to me and is like, hey, can you rent me a storage unit? My first question is, why can't you? Yeah. Because it's not difficult to get a storage unit. And if they said, I don't want my name associated with it. Then
1: you say no. I would need, like, a lot more details. A lot more details.
0: Like, this is dependent. Are you hiding from a bad person? Sure. Let's chitty chat about this. <laughs> Are you the bad person? <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: No. No storage for you. <laughs> no soup for you. No soup for you. So, um, they were now able to obviously charge Eric with the murders of Mark, Haas, as well as Cynthia and Mike. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, now, since this is our last week of couples who kill, there was a surprise witness for the prosecution. What? An accomplice. Huh. Kim Williams. Of course. Eric's wife of 16 years. On the stand during Eric's trial, Kim admitted she was the getaway driver for all the killings. Oh, my God. Yup. She was asked if she was a willing t- participant, and she said, yes, I was. What? They asked her why, and she admitted she was addicted to painkillers. She was addicted to Oxycontin, morphine, volume, and just a lot of stuff. Wow. She was so drugged up. She believed in Eric and everything he told her. His anger was her anger. That's that's a level. That's a level. So so bitch provided a lot of details, um, a lot of things. She's the one. Um, she stated after killing Mark, they were going to use that car again for murdering Mike, but the transmission blew, so they had to replace it with the white Crown Victoria. Um, she's the reason they knew Eric dressed up like a police officer to get into Mike and Cynthia's home. She said that after killing the couple, they celebrated and they had a barbecue. What? They grilled steaks. No, what? That's so fucked up. They asked her what the mood was like, and she said happy and joyous. Gross. Gross. The prosecutors asked her if they were more on Eric's hit list, and she said yes. She stated judges were next on his list. Oh my specifically, God. the one who recommended Eric take the plea deal after sealing the monitors. The prosecutors confirmed the weapons in the storage unit were supposed to be used for their future hits. Hey, remember those pickle jars? Yeah. Yeah. She said it was for the judge. Eric was going to wait for him and shoot him with a crossbow and then bore his stomach out and put it... What? And put napalm in it. Napalm? Yeah, like that gel-like flammable stuff. I don't understand how they go together... I don't understand. How, is that used for preserving things? I don't know. I didn't think so. I thought it was make bombs. So yeah, that's what I thought that was. That Ooh. was the plan. So fucking sick ass. That's where I'm at with that.
0: Hope no one's listening to this at an
1: airport without headphones. We just said bomb. We did multiple times. Um, bomb, 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 bomb. She's stupid. Well, yes. Once she was sober, Kim filed for divorce. But as a willing participant, she was given a plea deal to testify against Eric and was charged for 40 years in prison for the three capital murders. Wow. Eric was given the death penalty for his crimes. After the trial and sentencing, there was a victim testimony from Mike and Cynthia's children. Mike's son, JR, stated, I wish you could look me in the eye right now, but you can't. Tonight, while you're eating a bologna sandwich, I'm going to be having steaks. Ribeye, baked potatoes, big fat glass of sweet tea while looking at him and stated, and I will be there to watch you die along with the rest of my family. Mike's daughter, Krista stated, you're a sorry SOB and we hope you rot. But my favorite was Cynthia's daughter, Christina, who looked at him and said, pretty much the only thing I want to say is fuck you, Eric Williams. The judge cut in and said, come on, ma'am. She replied with my apologies to the court. Anyway, I hope you get exactly what you deserve. Oh my God. Love that. Fuck you, Eric Williams. Fuck you, Eric Williams. So that's my killer couples. Oh my god. A drugged up wife with her lawyer husband who went on a revenge killing. That is absolutely wild. Um, also, if
0: anyone can hear in the background, you probably will be able to. Um, it is super windy outside tonight. We do have windows like kind of cracked for some airflow, but like just an FYI. Yes, yeah, super loud. It's pretty windy. Okay, let's get it started with Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie Elizabeth Parker was born on October 1st, 1910 in Rowena, Texas to parents Emma and Charles Parker. She was their second child out of eventually three. Bonnie's father died when she was a very young child, roughly four years old. The remaining family moved back to Emma's parents' home in West Dallas, so her grandparents' home in West Dallas. Oh, my God. I didn't, so is everyone from today from Texas? Yes. Oh. I, I even have something in Kaufman County.
1: Oh, shit. Okay, I know. Okay. Like,
0: way to twin it up. We had no idea. Um, so, sorry. Just to recap, the reason I'm doing Bonnie and Clyde, um, I thought they were going to be, like, too stereotypical for couples who kill. But Sarah said she doesn't really know their stories. So. I don't.
1: I know. I've seen the movie, but like, was I fully invested, you ask? Or was I reading on my phone? You were absolutely reading Smut on your phone. 100% reading. Or Shifters. We don't know what I was reading. Smut or Shifters. It was great. Can it be Shifter Smut? Yes, I've read that too. I knew Could it. Could have been. Could have been. Could. I don't know. Yep. But not Bonnie and Clyde. So,
0: no. I'm excited. So... Yes, they moved to Bonnie's grandparents' house in West Dallas after her dad died when she was four. When Bonnie was in high school, she met a boy named Roy Thornton, who was two years older than her. The couple had a quick romance, and they dropped out of high school and got married six days before Bonnie's 16th birthday. No, thank you. No, thank you. Yeah, Mm -mm. it was September 26th, 1926, and she was going to turn 16 on October 1st. That's too young. The marriage was probably pretty obviously not great. <clears throat> Roy wasn't around a lot and got in trouble with the law often. They never divorced, but they didn't have anything to do with one another after January of 1929. So how many years were they married married? Um, I actually had this in here. It's the same amount of time I was married, which is two years and four months. That's before he split. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. So two years and four months. Um, Side note and kind of a spoiler. Bonnie was still wearing her wedding ring from Roy at the time of her death. Really? Yeah. So just a note. In any case, after she left the loser Roy, she moved back in with her mom and worked as a waitress in Dallas. One of her regulars was postal worker at the time, Ted Hinton. He'll come back into play later. Okay. Bonnie kept a diary in early 1929, where she detailed her loneliness, her impatience with life in Dallas, and her love of photography. Clyde Barrow was born on March 24, 1909, in Ellis County, Texas. His family had a struggling farm southeast of Dallas. He was the fifth of seven children. Ugh. Hard pass. The family, as part of a larger movement pattern, settled in West Dallas in the early 1920s. They slept under their wagon until they were able to save up enough money for a tent. Oh, Yeah. Like, they were... Real, real a struggling. big struggle. And it was the Depression. Like, this was bad times. Clyde's first arrest came at the age of 17 in late 1926. He ran when police confronted him about failing to return a rental car on time. Can we just talk about the fact that you could rent a car in 1926? It seems. Like, weren't cars invented, like, a decade prior to that? And we were already renting them? I don't know. Could you rent horses? I'm sure you could. Well, you know, they just went right off that. I get, oh my gosh, that's fair. But, like, okay. So, Clyde's brother, Buck, was involved with his second arrest. Possession of stolen turkeys stop yes okay (laughs) clyde had some legitimate jobs from 1927 to 1929 but he didn't exactly drop his bad boy lifestyle he was still stealing cars robbing small stores and cracking safes so um his brother buck will come into play later also clyde met bonnie parker in january of 1930 while bonnie was helping care for a mutual friend who had broken their arm and was healing Bonnie was reportedly making hot chocolate in the kitchen when Clyde walked in. Both were infatuated immediately, and the pair were almost inseparable after meeting for several weeks until Clyde was arrested and
1: convicted of auto theft. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That puts Mm -hmm. a little hinge in romance. Just a
0: little one. Um, Clyde was sent to the Easton Prison Farm in April of 1930 at the age of 21. He escaped from the prison farm shortly after arriving because Bonnie smuggled him a weapon. He was quickly recaptured and returned to prison. Clyde was repeatedly sexually assaulted while in prison. He ended up killing his rapist by attacking him with a lead pipe. Oh, damn. This was Clyde's first murder, but another inmate claimed responsibility for the death since he was already serving a life sentence. Really? That is like the only nice thing about the story. Okay. Because like Okay, let's yep. Yeah, it it's it's not good, but it's the only thing. Um, okay. Clyde didn't like the working conditions of having to do hard labor in the fields at prison, so he purposefully chopped off two of his toes Ugh. in late January of nineteen thirty two. Six days later, Clyde Barrow was released from prison. What? Because he had missing toes? Not because of his missing toes, uh, which did cause him to limp for the rest of his life, by the way. Um, no, he was released because unbeknownst to him, his mother had successfully petitioned. <laughs> That's ironic. For his release. That's <laughs> so ironic. Yes, he was released on February 2nd, 1932. <laughs> but he was... Nothing like the man who had entered prison. A fellow inmate, Ralph Fultz, said he'd seen Clyde go from a, quote, schoolboy to a rattlesnake. His sister Marie even noted the change, stating that he was a completely different person than before, and she knew that something awful must have happened to him while he was there. After his release, Clyde had a new life goal— to seek revenge against the Texas prison system for the abuses he had suffered under their watch. He began bit by bit gathering a group of men to help him. They robbed grocery stores and gas stations to save up for the amount of money and firepower that he was going to need to launch a raid at the Easton prison. Oh, geez. Despite the fact that Bonnie and Clyde are infamous for robbing banks, they actually only did about 10 bank robberies, But they robbed tons more, like, small mom-and-pop-style establishments. See, that's more fucked up to me. Yeah, it definitely is. It bothers me more. Stop it. Yeah. So, of course, Clyde reunited with Bonnie outside of prison, and they both teamed up with Ralph Fultz, who had escaped. Uh, They began a series of robberies. On April 19th, 1932, Bonnie and Ralph were captured in a failed burglary of a hardware store where they intended to steal firearms. Bonnie was released after a few months in jail because the grand jury failed to indict her. Ralph Fultz was convicted and served time. He never joined Bonnie and Clyde again for any crimes. He did continue with his life of crime, but that's not why we're here today. Bonnie wrote poetry to pass the time while she was in Kaufman jail and met back up with Clyde within a couple of weeks of being released. Some of her poetry is like searchable on the web. Um, and she actually has one, um, I think it's called the sorrow of Sal and it's about Bonnie and Clyde. Oh yeah. Interesting. So I didn't read any of it in connection with this, um, mostly because I was writing until the moment we started recording but I will probably look them up afterward.
1: I won't. Let me know how it goes. I sure will. Okay.
0: On April 30th, Clyde was the getaway driver for a robbery in Hillsboro. The store owner, J.N. Butcher, was shot and killed during this. Clyde stayed in the car during the gunfire, but Butcher's wife picked Clyde out of a photo lineup as one of the gunmen. Oh, fuck. Yeah. On August 5th, Clyde was drinking moonshine with some friends, Raymond Hamilton and Ross Dyer. They were at a country dance in Oklahoma when Sheriff C.G. Maxwell and Deputy Eugene Moore approached the men in the parking lot. Clyde and Raymond Hamilton shot both men, killing Deputy Moore and very seriously wounding Sheriff Maxwell. This was the first time Clyde Barrow killed a law officer, but it would not be his last. I do want to note there is an alleged killing in October of 1932 that is sometimes credited to Clyde Barrow. However, I found articles more recently that said historians no longer believe that Clyde could have been involved because they believe that Clyde and Bonnie at this time were on their way back from Michigan. Okay. So there's no way they could have been um, in Texas when this person died. Um, so, I'm not going to go through the details of it.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Perf.
0: On Christmas Eve of 1932, W.D. Jones joined Bonnie and Clyde, and the three of them left Dallas that evening. W.D. was just 16 years old, Bonnie was 22, and Clyde was 24.
1: Oh my God, there was a baby.
0: Yeah. On Christmas Day, W.D. and Clyde murdered Doyle Johnson while stealing his car in Temple, Texas. On January 6, 1933, Clyde killed Tarrant County Deputy Malcolm Davis when the trio wandered into a police trap that was set for a different criminal.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Yeah, it's one of those. In 1933, Bonnie and Clyde's gang of misfits was growing. On March 22nd, 1933, Buck Barrow was granted a full pardon and released from prison for whatever crimes he'd been accused of. Buck and his wife, Blanche, joined Bonnie and Clyde in a temporary hideout located in Joplin, Missouri. So just want to make sure we're making the connection. Buck is Clyde's brother. Yes. Okay, Okay. great. Yep. Blanche later stated that the group was going through a case of beer each day, partly due to the fact that they were hosting boisterous card games late into the night, and obviously no card game is complete without a case of beer. Of course not. People came and went at all hours, noisily, as stated by neighbors, and once Clyde accidentally fired a Browning automatic rifle while he was cleaning it in the apartment.
1: Dumbass.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, as a side note, the Browning Automatic Rifle, the BAR, is like his favorite rifle and he uses it in most of the following crimes. So when I say BAR, that's what I'm talking about, the Browning Automatic. Okay. So no no neighbors showed up when the shot went off, but they did notify police that suspicious things had been happening there.
1: That checks out.
0: Yep. So the police brought a five-man force in two different vehicles on April 13th, 1933 to confront what they thought were bootleggers. Clyde, Buck, and W.D. opened fire and fatally wounded two officers, Detective Harry McGinnis and Constable J.W. Harriman. Bonnie started shooting with a BAR as the others fled the scene, forcing Highway Patrol Sergeant G.B. Kaler to duck behind a tree. Bullets that struck the tree created splinters that flew out and into G.B. Kaler's face. Jesus. Yeah. Bonnie then got in the car with everyone else, and they quickly also pulled Blanche into the car because Blanche was chasing her fucking dog, Snowball. Oh, my God. They were like, bitch, we got to go. Bye. (laughs)
1: Leave the dog at this point, ma'am.
0: Yeah. Surviving Surviving officers said they shot only 14 rounds in this incident. One hit WD on his side. One struck Clyde, but it hit his suit coat button and deflected. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then one grazed Buck after ricocheting off a wall. They'd escaped the police in Joplin, but most of their possessions had been left in the hideout. Items left behind included Buck's parole papers, which, by the way, were only three weeks old at this (laughs) point, tons of weapons, handwritten poetry from Bonnie, and a camera with several rolls of undeveloped film. Police partnered with the newspaper, the Joplin globe to develop the film and found many pictures of the original trio, Bonnie Clyde and WD. They were posing with guns pointed at each other in many of the photos. The globe then sent the poem and some of the photos out on the newswire for other publications to also pick up and run in their papers. One of the photos is a sort of famous photo of Bonnie. Um, in the photo, Bonnie Parker is seen with a cigar clenched in her teeth and a pistol in her hand. The Barrow Gang, as they were now being called, was front page news across the country. Over the next three months, the Barrow Gang traveled as far north as Minnesota and coming back home as far south as Texas. In May of 1933, they successfully robbed a bank in Okabina, Minnesota and tried to rob a bank in Indiana. They kidnapped Dillard Darby and Sophia Stone in Ruston, Louisiana, while stealing Dillard's car. More than once, they captured robbery victims or police officers in the midst of their chaos. Typically, they would release their hostage far away from where they were captured and occasionally provided them money to get them home. Stories of these run-ins made headlines, but so did their gunfire-filled days. Over time, with more and more stories being published about how lethal the group was, they came to be feared. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, Blanche said that with becoming more recognizable with every published article, their daily lives became much more difficult. They were recognized at restaurants and hotels, so they had to start cooking over a campfire and bathing in cold streams. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, five adults in one car All day, every day, led to some bickering. Eventually, W.D. ran off and stole that car with Dillard and Sophia. um, And they ended up keeping that car after they had kidnapped that couple. And then they left them elsewhere. Okay. Um, W.D. used that car to leave the others for a couple of months. So he needed some space. Okay. They were on a break. So Clyde accidentally wrecked the main car that everyone was riding in in June of 1933, and it caught on fire. Sorry. Bonnie was left with third-degree burns on her right leg. It was so gruesome that none of the gang thought she was going to live. W.D. Jones was quoted saying, the hide on her right leg was gone from her hip down to her ankle. I could see the bone at places. Bonnie could hardly walk. (sighs) Yeah. Bonnie could hardly walk. The gang got help from a farm family that was close by the wreck. Then they kidnapped Collinsworth County Sheriff George Corey and Marshal Paul Hardy. They left the pair outside Eric, Oklahoma, handcuffed and barbed-wired to a tree.
1: Oh. Yeah, super... How barbed? Like, they wrapped them yes. around? Oh, my gosh. Yes.
0: Oh, I read you. this three times trying to figure out if that's truly what they meant, and it seems that... It seems they were serious. Okay. Okay. Bonnie, Clyde, and WD met back up with Buck and Blanche and hid out near Fort Smith, Arkansas, while Bonnie healed a bit. Buck and WD fucked up a robbery attempt (laughs) and ended up killing the town marshal of Alma, Arkansas, Henry Humphrey. This meant the gang had to get the hell out of there. Right now. In July of 1933, they checked into a little motel cabin thing near Platte City, Missouri. They thought they were going to be able to lay low for a bit, except I don't know if you've gathered this yet, but this group is fucking bananas. Yeah. Like at all times. Blanche registered their group as three people, but it was a small motel area and... The owner of the hotel could see that five people exited their car and went into the rooms. Yeah. The owner also noted that they pulled into the garage, quote unquote, gangster style. That's the thing, huh? Which is called backwards for the rest of us.
1: Oh, okay, okay. Yep. Gangster. They style. backed
0: into the garage, and so that was a big deal. Um, Don't come to Texas, where everybody
1: seems to back up everywhere. I fucking know. Drives me nuts. It's Anyways, ridiculous. Takes the same amount of time, guys. Apparently, it's called gangster style. I mean, that makes it cooler,
0: if you ask me. <sighs> Obviously. I'm going to pull in gangster style everywhere now. Blanche also paid for the lodging <laughs> in coins instead of bills and did the same when she, at the restaurant within the motel, ordered five meals and five beers that For three evening. people? Yes, for the three people. Okay. They the next real hungry <laughs> the next day Blanche again ordered five meals and five beers paid for with coins the owner of the hotel mentioned the oddities of the group to Captain William Baxter of the Highway Patrol while he was patronizing the motel's restaurant patronizing yep while he was patronizing the motel's restaurant Clyde and WD went into town to buy some atropine sulfate bandages, and cheese and crackers. As we remember, Bonnie's leg was still super fucked up. Yeah. The sheriff had been notified to be on the lookout for people seeking out supplies of this nature, so he spread the word around town. The local druggist called the sheriff right after Clyde and W.D. left their shop. The sheriff put the motel cabins under surveillance. He contacted Captain Baxter, who called for reinforcements. They brought an armored car and Thompson submachine guns, along with officers from Kansas City. They approached the gang's rooms around 11 p.m. There was a massive gunfight in which it appeared that Clyde's 30 caliber BAR easily outshot the submachine guns. One of the bullets ended up hitting... (laughs) This is really funny... One of the bullets ended up hitting the horn on the armored truck and short-circuited it. So police officers mistook this sound as a ceasefire signal, and the group used this oh, opportunity no. to
1: escape. That people are stupid. Yeah, the police
0: didn't pursue the vehicle. Oh, because why, why would they? Yeah. Um, so in the hail of fire, Buck Barrow had been hit in the head with a bullet. Oh, fuck. His injured brain was exposed from the damage <laughs> it... to his forehead. Both of Blanche's eyes had gotten glass fragments in them, and she nearly went blind because of it. They stopped at an abandoned amusement park in Dexter, Iowa, called Dexfield Park, on July 24th. Clyde and W.D. dug a grave for Buck due to the severity of his injuries. He talked and ate a bit, but was mostly semi-conscious.
1: So they had a grave ready, but he wasn't dead yet. Yeah,
0: they said due to blood loss and stuff, they were just sure. Sure. They were going to need it. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. Nearby residents noticed the group's bloody bandages, and soon officers thought the campers must be the Barrow Gang. Around 100 spectators surrounded the group along with local police. They opened fire, which I'm sorry, this sounds hella dangerous. You're sitting, you're you're in a circle and you're shooting inward. <laughs> the fuck?
1: Well, you know. <sighs> let's see what happens
0: yeah what do i know i'm not an expert so they opened fire wounding buck this time in his back clyde bonnie and wd ran away and escaped blanche was captured with buck and then buck succumbed to his injuries less than a week later in perry iowa
1: that's how long it took him to pass away it was five days that's still a very long time yes he's one missing his head right uh well, he had a, like a, yes. Yeah, part of his brain was outside his head.
0: It was exposed. Like, I, there was a hole in his forehead even, and you could see his brain. Correct. The fact that he lived that long. Correct. Back then. He had some sort of surgery or Ugh. something. And, yeah. Okay. He had also Sorry. developed pneumonia. Yeah, no, it was bad. Very bad. For the next six weeks, the remaining three switched it up. They traveled west to Colorado, south to Mississippi, back north to Minnesota again. They continued to commit armed robberies. On August 20th, a little less than a month after the shootout in Iowa, the men robbed an armory in Platteville, Illinois. Here they got three BARs, several handguns, and a shit ton of ammunition. By early September, they were ready to risk a run back to Dallas to see their families. They hadn't been home in four months, which is, you know, forever. Just ask my mom. (laughs) Yeah, your mom. I'm just kidding. I love you and I'll see you in six weeks. Anyway, WD went on south to Houston, didn't stop at Dallas because his mom had moved. WD got arrested on November 17th without a struggle and returned to Dallas. Clyde did a lot of robberies with some old pals while his family and Bonnie's attended to her still incredibly serious wounds. The duo were almost arrested on November 22nd while they were trying to meet up with some family near what is now Irving, Texas. Back then, it was called Sowers. Hmm. Dallas Sheriff Smot Schmid. I can't believe that's a real name, but it it's is. It's an awesome name. Smot Schmid. Smot Schmid, yes. Dallas Sheriff, Smott Schmid, <laughs> Deputy Bob Alcorn, and Deputy Ted Hinton, remember Ted? Yep. Lay in wait nearby. Clyde was super up to date with his Taylor Swift lyrics, so he knew that if it feels like a trap, then he was already in one.
1: Oh my god.
0: So as he approached the gathering, he drove past his family's vehicle, but the officers started firing at the vehicle with machine guns and their own BAR. Family members in the crossfire weren't hit, but one bullet from the BAR went through the car, hitting both Bonnie and Clyde's legs. They escaped. Yeah, they escaped. Less than a week later, Bonnie's first warrant for murder was issued for Tarrant County Deputy Malcolm Davis from January of that year. On January 16th, 1934, Clyde organized and carried out the escape of Hamilton a guy named Methven and others in the Eastham breakout. Clyde had finally pulled off his big fuck you to the Mm. Texas department of corrections. One of the Barrow gang members, Joe Palmer shot major Joe Croson during his escape. And the major died within a few days. The prison chief Lee Simmons promised the dying Joe Croson that he would track down and kill every person responsible for this. He eventually kept this promise with the exception of Methvin who ended up turning on the gang and helping the police set up the final capture of Bonnie and Clyde. Wow. Former Texas Ranger, Captain Frank Hamer was convinced to come back from retirement to hunt down the Barrow gang. Hamer was tall, tough and stoic. Over the course of his career, he suffered only 17 wounds which I kind of feel for the Wild West is pretty low.
1: Because when you say it out loud now, it feels like a lot. It feels
0: it, like a lot. It feels like a lot. It but does. like also he shot and killed 53 people. Like he That's brought so down many. 53 criminals. So many. And only suffered 17 wounds when like there was just tons of gunfire. So I I know 17 sounds like a lot, but compared to the 53. it's Yeah. Yeah. I digress. This is a long fucking story. Frank Hamer started tailing the gang on February 10th, 1934. He lived out of his car and was just a town or two behind them at all times. On April 1st, 1934, in Grapevine, Texas, two highway patrolmen stopped for a vehicle that they believed needed assistance on the side of the road. Reports varied on who fired the fatal shots but all three, Bonnie, Clyde, and Methvin, shot at officers H.D. Murphy and Edward Wheeler. Both men died. Many exaggerated reports of this incident came about in the spring of 1934. Stories claimed that there was a cigar found with tiny teeth marks, and it had to be Bonnie's. At H.D. Murphy's funeral, his fiance wore her intended wedding dress.
1: Oh. This, oh. Yeah. Sorry. No,
0: yeah. I wasn't expecting it, and it made me feel weird. Yeah. This attracted photos and newspaper coverage. Bounties were set for both Bonnie and Clyde, and the public wanted the gang taken down. Clyde and Methvin, shortly thereafter, murdered 60 year old Constable William Campbell, often called Cal. He was a father and a widower who lived near Commerce, Oklahoma. They then kidnapped Commerce's police chief. Percy Boyd they took him across the state border into Kansas gave him a clean shirt a few bucks and they also had a request from Bonnie she wanted him to spread the word that she didn't smoke cigars
1: oh okay make sure to get that out you know yeah it's of our utmost importance yeah everything you did but you didn't smoke cigars That's
0: fine absolutely okay Clyde Barrow had 16 warrants out for his arrest by May of 1934. Robbery, auto theft, regular theft, escape, assault, and murder in four different states. Hamer was still hot on their trail. He'd paid attention to their pattern. They struck at towns that were on the outskirt of state lines to take advantage of the fact that officers couldn't pursue someone into another du- jurisdiction. On May 21st, Hamer, along with Hinton, Alcorn, B.M. Galt, Henderson Gordon, and Prentice Oakley laid in wait in Shreveport, Louisiana. They were in place around 9 p.m. They waited all night. No one came. Oh, okay. Well, that's... They waited all day on May 22nd. No one Still came? Still no one came. Okay. By the next morning on may 23rd the officers were discussing when they should regroup and come up with a new plan but around nine fifteen a.m they heard a vehicle approach at a high speed they'd gotten methvin to leave his vehicle on the side of the road that morning as a lure sure enough clyde barrow slowed down preparing to stop to talk to his friend before the vehicle stopped six officers began shooting clyde was shot in the head immediately and reportedly, the officers heard Bonnie scream when that happened. Oh. Well. In, okay. I know. In total, the officers fired 130 rounds into the vehicle. They shot every bullet from every gun they had brought. They did not stop until their ammo was gone.
1: There was they, only two people in that car, right?
0: Yeah. Kay. They didn't want to take chances. Okay. Yeah. Bonnie did not survive the shootout,
1: of course. <laughs> Sorry. I know. Funny, but... I,
0: I was going over this and I was like, I didn't specifically say, but like, it should be obvious. But like, she had survived many in the past. Yeah, but. Clarification, she, not this one. Yeah, no. Actual film footage from directly after the ambush shows 112 bullet holes in the vehicle. Jeez. And of those, an estimated 25% did strike the couple. The coroner reported 17 entrance wounds on Clyde and 26 on Bonnie. Jeez. The gunfire was so loud that the officers on scene were temporarily deaf for the entire afternoon.
1: Well, that makes sense, guys. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. When they
0: inventoried the couple's vehicle, they found an incredible amount of weapons. Stolen automatic rifles, sawed off semi-automatic shotguns, handguns, and many thousands of rounds of ammo. They also found 15 sets of license plates from various states. A quote from Hamer. I hate to bust the cap on a woman, especially when she was sitting down. However, if it wouldn't have been her, it would have been us.
1: Oh my god. Sorry bust a cap
0: yeah he literally in 1934 i hate to bust the cap on a woman well you gotta he had to bust the cap on the woman man well, if it wouldn't have been her it would have been them bust the cap <laughs> okay. news of the deaths of bonnie and clyde spread quickly and a crowd gathered at the scene the two officers who were left to guard the scene were unable to control the mob of spectators and a bloody lock of Bonnie's hair and pieces from her dress were soon cut off and later sold as souvenirs. uh, Yeah.
1: Gross.
0: Disgusting. The coroner reported when he arrived on the scene, nearly everyone had begun collecting souvenirs. Shell casings, slivers of glass from the shattered car windows, and bloody pieces of clothing from the garments of Bonnie and Clyde. One eager man had opened his pocket knife and was reaching into the car to cut off Clyde's left ear. Ew! The vehicle was eventually towed, the bodies of Bonnie and Clyde still inside, to the Conger Furniture Store and Funeral Parlor in downtown Arcadia, Louisiana. Stop it. I know that sounds wild, but this actually said that a furniture store and a funeral parlor used to be kind of common to share a space. I don't know why, unless, you know, the furniture and coffin thing. But, like, I feel like coffins are a specialty furniture.
1: I don't like And they're not furniture. No. I mean, for the dead, I guess. But it's not furniture. It's your...
0: uh, I can't. It's a bed. Nope. Your resting place. No, I can't. Okay. Within hours, 10,000 curious people showed up to the tiny town of normally 2,000 to see where Bonnie and Clyde had finally been killed. More than 20,000 people attended Bonnie's funeral, making it difficult for her family to reach her gravesite. Oh, that's kind of fucked up. Yeah. So it's, it's really hard because like they were super fucked up, but at the same time, like every family should be given the space to
1: grieve, you know, like it's still a loss to them. Yeah, um, but like also that's just too much. I wouldn't, they're already dead. Leave them alone. Yeah.
0: Um, Bonnie and Clyde wanted to be buried side by side, um, but Bonnie's family was like, um, hell to the no. Absolutely not. Um, Alan Campbell recalled at Bonnie's service that flowers came from everywhere, including some with cards, allegedly from Pretty Boy Floyd and John Dillinger. Ugh. The largest floral tribute was sent by a group of Dallas City newsboys. The sudden end of Bonnie and Clyde had sold 500,000 newspapers in Dallas alone. Oh, damn. Yeah. Clyde Barrow ended up being buried next to his brother, um, Buck. They share a marker. And his hand-chosen epitaph was gone but not forgotten. It's not wrong. Right? Right.
1: It's not wrong. He will be remembered forever.
0: Yes. Um. And if I have the math right, so Clyde was 24 when he died, and Bonnie was 23. Oh my God! They were just children. They were so young.
1: Yeah. Dumbasses. Yes. Stupid ass plans. Yep. Do better with your lives.
0: Yeah. So, by the summer of 1934, new federal statutes made bank robbery and kidnapping federal offenses. The growing coordination of local authorities by the FBI, plus two-way radios and police cars, combined to make it more difficult to carry out series of robberies and murders um, than it had been just those two months before. So, shortly after this all got put into place, um, John Dillinger was killed on the street in Chicago, Three months after that, pretty boy Floyd was killed in Ohio. And one month after that, Babyface Nelson was killed in Illinois.
1: Oh, fuck. This all happened real close. I did not realize they were all this close, like...
0: In time? Yeah. Yeah. Bonnie's niece and last surviving relative is campaigning to have her aunt buried next to Clyde. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about it either.
1: I feel like that's stupid. Let her be where she is.
0: Yeah. Um, but that's Bonnie and Clyde.
1: Okay, so it is super interesting. I understand why people are obsessed. Um, yeah, it's wild. But also, it's also really long. Well, also kind of fuck you guys. Yeah,
0: like that's the whole thing. Like at the end, I felt sad that her family was it. Like had trouble getting to her gravesite because of the mass amounts of people. But, also, but on the same hand, like, fuck, fuck you, lady. Yeah. Like, look at all the shit you did. Like, ugh, all I the don't... people who had to go to funerals because of you. Yes, exactly. Like, it was, it was just a lot. It, Yeah. Yeah. I they did know. some bad shit. They're bad people. Yes, absolutely.
1: So, but, All right. Well, that was, it was interesting. Yeah. Let's um, grab
0: a quick drink and come, come back. back. Sounds yep. good. All right. Welcome back. Sorry, we both had to sit up. Yes.
1: (laughs) We didn't do much.
0: No. Um, Okay, so I heard this really funny story this week, and um,
1: I got permission to share it, and I'm very excited to do so. Yes, I love it. Um, This is literally all we're going to talk about this chat. It will not be very long, but it's super fucking funny. Yeah. Okay. Hilarious. All right, so... Um, A friend of
0: mine told me this story. It is about her friend. And she was like, can I please tell you this story? Because my friend does not think it's funny yet. But I think it's the funniest thing I've ever fucking heard. And I was like, yes, 100% tell me. And I don't know her friend personally. So, um, but after I get done telling you this, uh, you'll understand why. I think I want to meet this person. I do too. I (laughs) want to be her friend. Yeah. She sounds great. Okay. So, uh, this woman lives in a condo and she is one of the youngest people who lives in this condo building this condo community is um full of people who are generally 55 or older mostly retirees yes mostly retirees some are um much further advanced in age than her um this woman is in her like low 40s right So she doesn't go to her HOA board meetings because she just fucking doesn't. She doesn't care about it. Um, And she exists like a normal 43-year-old to me. I don't know. She's 43. I'm just saying 43 because it makes sense. Why did I do that? She just exists as someone who, like, has an active life in her 40s. Like, she has people over for the game, and she likes to play music and have guests and whatever. That's She likes to live her fucking life, right? Well, apparently people around the community may not like her very much. And she was surprised one day when one of the older members of the HOA board approached her and they were like, hey, we have some people who are looking to retire from our HOA board and we thought that you actually might be a great candidate to replace someone on the board. You know, you have a really unique voice within this community and so we think you would be a great person to run for like a position on the board. And she was like, "Really?" And they're like, "Yeah, you would be a shoe-in." And she's like, "All right. I mean, okay, sure. Yeah, I'll get I'll get more involved." So she makes posters and like c- campaigns, right? Like she goes and talks to people around the community about her run for the HOA board. And she's talking about what she's looking forward to and things that she'll try to change and going through this whole process. Right. So I think it was like Thursday night or Wednesday night was supposed to be um, the induction. And people kept saying like, Oh my gosh, you're coming, right? Like you're a shoe in. And she's like, yeah, I'm coming. So she does her hair, her makeup. She puts on heels, wears a nice outfit. She's FaceTiming with our mutual friend and they're talking about like her acceptance speech and what she's going to talk about for like what she's going to change. And she gets to the meeting and she sits down. It's a fucking surprise intervention. (laughs) It's an intervention from the entire community to
1: her. (laughs) That's so embarrassing.
0: They are upset that. When she brushes her dog, some of the hair, like, gets left in common areas. I guess her dog, like, sheds a lot. I don't know what kind of dog. Make sure you (laughs) clarify. It's outside. Yeah, it's outside, like, in the courtyard. But they're upset that, like, this dog's hair is around, right? And then they talk about how she has strange men in and out of her house at all hours of the night. (laughs) (laughs) And one of the older (laughs) gentlemen says to her... You know, we never used to have any problems until you brought those boys around. <laughs> like, what? Oh my god. So she is mortified, of course. Like she calls her our friend and afterward is like, Oh my god, listen to this. And our friend cannot stop laughing. Like cannot stop Did laughing. Did you tell her
1: you haven't you haven't revealed what the what the votes were yet, Samantha?
0: Oh, that's right. Okay. Out of hundred and fifty votes she got eight <laughs> like <laughs> a shoe in it was not a shoe in um oh, oh my god poor girl i would be one mortified. of them was probably her own oh my god <laughs> so seven so seven oh, that um, poor girl. oh that's that's not nice um okay so <laughs> she is pissed at the hoa board right she's like what the fuck all you guys have to do all day is sit around and scheme this up right like what the fuck is your problem you didn't just want to talk to me like an adult so she's like okay they think i'm a slut now just (laughs) fucking wait so So she is out to annoy them she has created a song about them and i don't want to say the name because i don't want like any info about this but like she's created a fucking song about the main person who like asked her to be a part of this (laughs) And it's called i hate that person's name um i can't like the petty i love the petty and what'd she do right after samantha she was out this weekend, oh oh, no, I'm sorry, right, right after right after the meeting, okay, she goes, gets her dog, <laughs> takes it to the courtyard, and fucking brushes her whole dog down, empties the brush, and just like throws it in the air and leaves it like so fucking pissed and so this weekend, she was out at the bar, and there was this band she said they're like in their twenties, probably, and they're a Metallica cover band. <laughs> She invited them back to her apartment (laughs) and had them (laughs) play music until 5 in the morning. Oh, my God. 5 a.m. I'm too old for that. And only stopped because she got a serious noise complaint. I don't know what that means, but, like, I don't know if that means the cops were involved or, like, uh, HOA, whatever, but... (laughs) She's my hero. I cannot wait to hear more about this. I'm living for updates on this story. It is so funny i
1: gave suggestions i suggested that every man she's ever met in her whole life she invites over one night a week and they have a vicious argument in the parking lot yes in front of all of her neighbors every single night probably around 10 p.m because they're already asleep then they're old that suggestion has been passed along good yes that's my suggestion yes i appreciate that suggestion
0: yeah um yeah just makes me so happy i am so like inspired by the level of petty it's something i only
1: aspire to i'm so mortified for her as a person i I don't know what i would do i I need to move i would would go home and cry okay i I would be so embarrassed i would cry when i'm I'm embarrassed that's what i do like i know i would just want to move i'd be like i can't do that i can't live with these old fuckers and she's like you know what let me go brush my right. she's just
0: like let me go strut myself past you as i continue to live my life
1: go fuck yourself karen right that's not any other people's names but you just have to assume that one of these old hags names they... is karen hags oh my god
0: yes i'm sure someone's name is karen there absolutely wow poor
1: poor poor person yeah bananas. she's gone through hell absolutely but also, it's so funny. Oh, my God. If we get updates, we'll let you know. If you want them. If, yes. if you're like, this story is stupid. It's well, not. Your face is stupid. They won't.
0: So. Also, I don't give a fuck. This is I my story. Hilarious. And it's so funny. And you're going to get updates.
1: I laughed so hard. Samantha came out while I was working to tell me. <laughs> I did. I was like, are you busy? Like, stop this.
0: Okay. Um. As a reminder, this is our last episode for a few weeks. We're going to take a few off. Um, So you'll have your episode today, February 28th, and then you'll see us
1: back around March 21st. 21st. Yeah. We will be back with new and improved New and improved. I mean,
0: I'll be a year older at that point. I won't. So I'll probably sound older. Are you you ready? You won't. You'll sound the exact same. Are you sure? I'm positive. Pretty sure that's when my aging is really going to kick in. Nope, that's
1: not how it works. <laughs> um, are you sure? <laughs> yeah.
0: And then we're going to have a new... Mm, Listen, you have to move in the next week, few weeks too. I do, and that's going to be busy. Yeah. We're going to be really busy. Our goal is to, um, you know, get ahead a little bit. So that's going to be our goal. We also <laughs> want to revamp some things. We'll see what happens. We sure will. And in the meantime, uh, if you haven't checked out naughty santas everywhere our seventh episode i highly recommend it we've been told that's the best and also i think it's the best it's my favorite too yeah like i absolutely love that episode i just want to like re-release it every year and be like celebrate this with me it's so fun we're not even there yet we haven't even made it a year um we've this is our 15th episode I don't know, fourteenth. I think it fourteen or fifteen. Yeah, we're doing great. Yeah.
1: After break, we're coming back with some things other than just murder. Yeah, we're gonna have some fun topics, some interesting topics, still
0: some doom stuff, and then, um, yeah, excited to share what we have planned coming up. Okay, guys. Okay. Oh, bye bye. Bye. You can find us on Instagram,
1: Twitter, and Facebook at The Doom Crew Podcast. We now have a Patreon. You can find us as The Doom Crew Podcast. We have three different levels.
0: All right. For $1 per month, you can participate on the manslaughter level. And at that level, you get to participate in polls that help determine future content. We also have level two which is $3 per month, and that's our second-degree murder level. So you're going to get to participate in those polls still, but you can also ask us personal questions that we answer on air, and we will read your name out loud on our podcast. Level three is $5 a month. That is our first-degree murder level. On top of all of the incredible benefits I already told you, you'll get to join us for a monthly Zoom call. We appreciate all of your support on all of our platforms. Thank you so, so much for listening.
1: Now a message from our biggest supporter and our smallest fan, my little man. Take it away, Jack. Thank you so much to, you, to, to and Samantha. The you, crew Like and subscribe. Please read a five-star review. Thank you.